Hey everyone, welcome to Survive HR. We're so grateful that you guys are here listening to this important episode. So I'm Kelly Scheib and I'm joined here by my co-host. Uh, co-host, you can introduce yourself now. Well, yeah, I'm Steve Neal and Kelly, it's great to be here. And I tell you, you know how, you know how most of these podcasts are actually like uh, some sort of um, uh, psychological treatment sessions or something for you. You know how what that you? works? You know, yeah. Yeah. Most no. of the people we have on here, you're answering your own. I mean, we've got another doctor on today. <laughs> the, doctor, the, doctor can, the doctor can help you with the problem that you've had for, I think I've heard, you know, I mean, I can't help it that your CFOs basically don't like you. I mean, they, <gasps> they, they, they just don't. Get and that's what I brought a doctor in to help you with that today. Okay, that's not true. <laughs> I love my CFO. Oh my, I love my CFO. But that's not true. That's not nice. But I do have a problem, Dr. Whitehead. Welcome, Dr. Kimberly Whitehead. Um, uh, Dr. Whitehead, introduce yourself to our audience and then we'll discuss my problem. Okay, well, first of all, you need to know that I am not a medical doctor. I can't help you with that. <laughs> I am not a psychologist, and I can't help you with that either. So we just got to get that straight right out the gate. You can, ha- you can help me with my problem, Dr. No, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I work at Anderson University, and I teach supply chain and operations management. But before I did that, and before I went back to school to get my PhD, um, I was a chief financial officer uh, for a number of years in in industry and specifically consumer products industry. And and so I always tell everyone, don't hate me, but I'm an accountant by trade, right? And um, and accountants, you know, we have our things that you know you HR people may or may not like about us. Um, but, but I always have to, have to start with that. So I'm an accountant at heart and came up through organizations in accounting and finance and, uh, fell in love with supply chain cause I was in manufacturing. And, and so now that's what I teach. But, uh, but I spent many years, I spent about eight years as a chief financial officer and years before that as directors of finance and all those other different things we have to do uh, to get to that, that C-suite. That's, that's awesome. And I'm grateful for people like you, so I don't have to be. <laughs> no, you know, Kelly, though it is true, and I was kind of, I was somewhat joking at the first when I talked about the bit, but you know, a lot of times, HR people and, and finance folks are just a little bit like oil and, and then, you know, oil and water, I guess. I mean, they just don't, they just don't mix very well, and I think any, you know, we need to get to the bottom of this and figure out how to make this situation better for those folks that don't actually get along that well, the HR folks uh, that don't really get along that well with their finance folks. Well, so we can speak to it from an HR perspective, but I don't really care to speak to it from our perspective. I want to hear what Dr. Whitehead has to say about why, why don't you like us? Why don't, why don't you like the HR folks? You know why don't, don't CFOs like us? Um, you know, I mean that—that's a—that's a true statement, and <laughs> that's terrible. I'm—I'm I'm not gonna—I'm not gonna say that I never said bad things about HR people because um, I probably still do today, and I'm—I'm I'm not even CFO anymore. Um, but but I'll tell you why. I'm you know the very very basic, just the the cornerstone of the whole thing is that we're in business together, and we're partners together, and 
we have a joint responsibility for this business. And that means you're a business person. If you're HR, you should be a business person. You're not a psychologist. You're not running around trying to figure out why people like each other or don't like each other. That's not how I saw our HR department. And sometimes our HR department kind of saw their self that way. Like, let us help you. We can fix you. No, no, you know, it's not that. Um, but you really need HR people and especially the HR executives to be business people. And so when you go and you talk to them, you know, my expectation was always they would understand my language. And I don't mean English or Spanish. I mean economics and finance and accounting. If I go to talk to uh, an HR executive about our insurance expenses for the year and how we're not accrued for that level of expense and we've got a big problem because we're going to have to take a big expense at the end of the year. I need them to understand those things and be able to understand why those kinds of things are important. And when, when HR people don't see themselves as business people, as really part of the business, because they are, and they are a very important part of the business, but when they don't see themselves as part of those, you know, um, those number decisions that are being made, then it's almost like, they put themselves in a the back seat on the bus. You know, they're not, they're not playing along with everybody else. They're not playing the game with everybody else. They're not part of um, the management team. You know, it's almost like they take a step back. And, uh, and I think sometimes HR people do that to themselves. And sometimes you allow other people to do that to you, to try and one up you and, you know, well, I'm better than you because I'm the director of finance. So I'm going to tell you what to do. And, and HR people sometimes allow that to happen because they're trying to be nice. And I'm not saying that finance people aren't nice, but sometimes they're very forthright and to the point, um, you know, and, and so many finance, so many people in uh, the finance department, the accounting department, I mean, they're accountants by trade and they're data driven, they're compliance driven, they're performance driven and process driven. And they don't want to talk about all the touchy feely stuff. Um, and, and sometimes I think HR people get a little obsessed with that. I don't know. So you know what I mean by touchy feely stuff? And I don't mean to uh. say that in a bad way. But, uh, but sometimes, you know, decisions just have to be made and, and the touchy-feely stuff has to be put aside. But, but I think that the crux of it is HR people are business people. And they weren't always. And Kelly, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I know in my experience, and I'm an old person now, so we go back years and years and years, a lot of times the HR person was, used to be the president's secretary and she got promoted to HR. Um, she didn't have a business background or he or she didn't have a business background. Uh, they had an administrative background and because they were really good with paperwork, everybody thought, well, we'll just put them in HR because HR is all administration, but it's not, it's yeah. not just pushing papers. It's a real functional part of the business and be, should be treated that way. And the people that are there should be able to be business people and understand and help make business decisions. Yeah. I absolutely agree. Um, but how do we, so, so this is one of the things that's very true. And I learned, I learned what you said later into my HR career, right? So it, I didn't come out of school and I have, and I actually have HR degrees. I have two HR degrees, right? Never once did I take a math class or a finance class or an accounting class, never once. I've actually considered going back to school to get my MBA or get my finance degree. And I don't like math. 
but I have found it to be an incredible, incredibly important part of my success as an HR professional mm -hmm. is to understand that. But I guess one of the things I couldn't agree with you more. I think that a lot of people fall into HR. It's like the catch all career when you can't figure out what you want to do. Um, but true HR professionals, if this is something that you want to aspire to actually be, I think it's a balance. I don't think we can be singularly financially minded. That's why we have partners in finance, because quite frankly, a good bit of our job is touchy feely and it needs to be right because you're dealing with people, right? And people are messy and, but it's gotta be a balance as much as I have to advocate for the latest drug on the formulary that's going to cost finance more money. I'm doing that because I care about the employees that it's impacting. All of that needs to be taken into account. So it's almost like HR professionals. If I had to look at it, HR professionals, HR professionals, true business partners have to have a split brain hundred percent of the time. And, you know, and that's exactly right. And, you know, in my experience, what would happen is if you sit down and you're talking about why are you going to add that formulary to the things that you're going to approve or that particular procedure that you want to approve on your insurance, especially if you're self-insured, um, if you understand the financial ramifications of that, and if you can speak to that, and if you can support your decision, finance goes, okay, great. At least they understand what they're doing. Now, they may or may not agree with you at the end of the day. Finance never says, okay, great. Finance is going to grill you and finance is going to question you. And they're going to talk about things like EBITDA. And <laughs> but, but if you can support it, if you can support your answer, if you can support where you got the data from, because a lot of times what I found with HR is that they get data and they can't really support. Well, where'd you get that information from? IT. Well, where'd IT get it from? Uh, I don't know. What does it tie out to? Uh, I don't know. I mean, because they're not trained to do those things. But if they're willing to partner with finance, finance can help. If they have a question and it needs to be data-driven, finance can help them answer those questions and work together as a team. And then everybody comes together and you find great solutions. And that's, there's no, you know, sitting across the board table, just shaking your head at each other, not being able to communicate. Because so, so many times, and I'm sure you've experienced this, it just comes down to we can't communicate because we're not speaking the same language. You know, we're not using the same numbers. That's what, a lot of times that happens. If HR goes off and collects their own numbers and then finance goes off and collects their own numbers and we come together, the numbers don't match yeah, because the sources aren't the same or something. Something's different about what you've done. And then that causes hurt feelings sometimes, you know, well, you, you, and, you uh, about, and that's you, bad. Yeah. You've mentioned a couple of things that are really kind of interesting because uh, one I think, you know, I'll, I'll criticize the profession of HR. My, my background's a little different. I don't have an HR degree. I have a finance and economics degree. So I'm much more, have much more of a financial kind of a background, but I think HR people and the fact that, you know, Kelly comes, has two degrees from a very prestigious school in HR and doesn't have an, you know, they didn't teach finance, which I think is a critical kind of a flaw in, in the process. But what you see is, many okay hr people one just lack complete confidence in it you know they're they're almost afraid of it and and then if they'll get intimidated i think many times yep. by people that do understand the numbers so they're they're doing exactly the opposite of what they should be doing they're kind of trying to stay away from the finance folks and the accounting folks as opposed to coming in early and saying 
this is what we, we want to do. We think it's in the best interest of the company and the people, and this is why, but we need your help in helping, in, in helping us come up with, you know, an understanding from a financial perspective, whether our um, assumptions are, are correct. But I, and, and like I mentioned, sometimes they do this to themselves. They just step back and they allow themselves to be kind of, you know, run over by the proverbial bus. And, and that's not good enough because they have a really important function in the organization. And if they can step forward with their opinions and their ideas, and if they can justify those opinions and ideas and stand strong, that's how they add value to the organization. It's not just backing down when they get asked questions, but they should certainly be ready to answer all those questions. And when somebody asks you a lot of questions, it doesn't mean that they necessarily think you're wrong or that they think that the idea is even weak. It's just, they just wanna know. So like for myself as CFO, if I ask you a lot of questions, it may just be that I'm really excited about your idea. Tell me more about it. Where did you get this number from? And where did this come from? And what are we gonna do about this? And how are you gonna implement it? How are you gonna execute this? It may just be that I'm excited about it, but I have to know all of those different things, especially from a CFO's perspective, because a CFO answers to so many stakeholders, right? They're signing the documents at the end of the month to the bank saying, yes, our finances are good. Yes, these are the correct numbers. Yes, this budget is correct. They're signing documents saying to the board, yes, you know, all of this information is correct. Everything is about details and being correct and understanding things. And when a CFO stands there before the board or, you know, the chief executive officer and supports a recommendation, even you know, if it comes from HR or whoever, they need to be able to answer all those questions too because they're going to get grilled. And so it's not that they're grilling somebody personally, but it's just that you have to have those details and you have to have a keen eye for detail. And that's another thing that um, I had problems with just over the years with HR is having that eye for detail. And detail is important. And maybe not at the beginning of a decision, like, okay, we're going to uh, increase the staff in this department by 10%. And you can justify it and all of that's great and you have a whole bunch of information about it, but there are other details that we need to put together. How does that affect next year's budget? How does that affect our five-year plan? How does that affect um, the reports that we're sending to our bank? How is that going to affect our EBITDA in the long run? I mean, all these different things are important too. So it goes knowing that even what you think in HR are, you know, just everyday decisions, you need to know that those everyday decisions are important. And, and that's why we have an HR department. That's why we have HR executives, because these decisions are very important, but they have ramifications that just spread throughout the organization, right? And the CFO is responsible for that because they're responsible for reporting, right? All reporting falls on the shoulders of the CFO, all those fiduciary responsibilities. So how does, I mean, everything you're saying is so right. And I actually agree with Steve when he says that some HR people are intimidated. Yeah, I know. Put it on paper, write it in blood, well, we, whatever you need me to do, time. Steve, I agreed with you. Um, <laughs> but I, one of the things that is increasingly evident to me in my career personally and just in the HR professionals that I've had an opportunity to opt to to work with or um, network with is we don't prepare HR professionals for this. Yeah. How does an HR professional prepare for this? Like Steve, I almost want to like I almost want you to have AU 
create like a certificate program in finance for HR because they, I, I have had to pick up pieces here and there and I'm, I'm incredibly intimidated by numbers, but know that it's my role. So I've had to do certain things and I'm by no means good at it at all. Um, but I try, but how does an HR, in your opinion, Dr. Whitehead, how do we prepare ourselves to have those business conversations that involve things like EBITDA or involve things, you know, it just involve the numbers. Well, um, one thing that I would say is that if you're already out there and you're working in the field, you need to ask for a seat at the table. And what I mean by that is you need to be in the conference room when decisions are being made. Even if you're not a decision maker, even if you don't have anything to contribute to that particular meeting, you need to be in that meeting. You need to be listening. You need to hear how these decisions get made. You ask for a seat at the table and you get respected for that. There's a, there's a great deal of respect that goes from that because you're wanting to learn about the organization. You're wanting to learn about, you know, the different things that are important to the various managers that are involved in the decision-making process, but ask for a seat at the table. And if you're at a high enough level in HR, you can insist on a seat at the table. You must be there. You need to hear what's going on. And if you let people push you out, you're just not going to understand how these decisions are being made and you're not going to be able to grow and really contribute to the organization. And I know I'm simplifying this, but when I say it, but it, it, not, not that much. And that is basically it's adding, subtracting, multiplying, dividing. I mean, this is not, you know, it's not like you're doing regression analysis every day and all that sort of, I mean, you just- Sometimes you are. You and you, yes, you, you are. yes, you you could be, but that's where the the finance folks would help you. But it's just really understand. I think a couple of things for HR people. One is to understand what the number. If you're looking at the balance sheets, the income statement, all this, all that that you understand, you have a basic understanding of what that means, and then you also understand basically how decisions affect finances. And I think from an HR perspective, what's really really lacking is that HR people aren't thinking in terms of finance. I mean, and Kelly, I think you would, I think you would agree with this. I mean, every decision that I make, I mean, I just think that way. I'm automatically thinking about what does this cost? You know, what's the benefit to the organization? Uh, is it going to be worth this investment? Why should we be making this? What, what's the, what's the long-term financial effect on this? as well as other things like employee relations, retention, any, all those things. And what does the dollar value of that mean? And those are the things that I think a lot of HR people just don't ever really truly think about. They just, they'll leave that to somebody else or they don't really care because they're in it for the, you know, we think this training's good or we think we should do this because we hear other companies are doing it. But I mean, you've got to put the financial um, aspect of it into play or you're missing just a major component of the whole decision-making process. And, well, and, and if you can't speak the language, Steve, here again, it, you know, you're talking about return on investment. If, you, if you've never heard that term before, you have no idea how to respond to somebody asking you, what is the return on investment? If you sit in these meetings and you hear those conversations, you're going to start hearing that terminology and then you go and you learn it. You have to. If you don't have that business background, you have to. Now, if you're, you know, newer in the field, you can go back to school, you can get that MBA, 
It's so important. Um, you know, to, you know, I've, I've seen HR people that don't have a degree or they have a degree in English or they used to be, you know, a, a music teacher. I mean, I've seen all kinds of different things, right? They're really great administratively and that's how they got to be the head of HR. Um, but they, and so that means that they're not dumb people. Just go learn this stuff and don't be afraid of it. When, like when Steve said, you know, it's, it's math, but it's not, you know, linear algebra and calculus and all these kinds of things. It's things we can do in Excel and on a calculator, um, not, not fancy math. But the main thing is just understanding the language. Do you understand return on investment? Do you understand what EBITDA is? And in New York, they call it EBITDA, by the way. I learned that one time. Um, all the fancy people on Wall Street. But if, but if you don't even know what those things are, how do you respond to it? So increase your education, whether that's getting a certificate, whether that's just being involved in organizations. Like if you're involved in SHRM, I'm sure that they're providing certain types of, no, they're not, types of training or anything like that. Not really. I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm an accountant, so, so CPA, we train all the time, right? So it's fascinating that you said that, though, when I shook my head, no, and I know that listeners can't see me shaking my head. I just assumed that that would be true, no? No, no. they're having amazing seminars, and that's why I said, when I, when I originally said, we have to have a split brain, mm-hmm. we do. We operate in this world where... I'm discussing return on investment in one meeting and in the next meeting, I'm thinking about how I need to, you know, deal with this lawsuit and they're, they're polar opposite sides of your brain or how we need to think about employee engagement. Like that's a different side of your brain. Right. And I, so, so Sherm is in my opinion, Sherm and the, organizations I've been a part of, they don't teach to the finance side. I wish they would. I wish they would. Like, that's why I said there's an opportunity in like a certificate or something like a finance for HR, because you'll do finance for non-financials or finance for like business professionals, but finance for HR. I mean, Steve, how often have you and I talked about metrics being what drives human resources? And, you know, we are phenomenal at determining the turnover metric. But no one even knows what any of that means, right? Like reporting a number out means nothing. How we ultimately impact that is where we, where HR works their magic. But no, SHRM is the HR society in general, the HR community in general just doesn't focus in the space at all and they should, which is why I wanted you on. It's funny that you mentioned the turnover metric because when I was thinking about this conversation this afternoon, I thought, you know, one of the things I really had a gripe with with HR is that they create all these KPIs, all these key performance matrix or key performance indicators that mean nothing at all. I mean, they just start throwing these numbers around and us finance people want to go, okay, well, how did you calculate that? And they go, oh, uh, uh, I had this and they just show you this piece of paper and, 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 and we really want to know because those kinds of things can be really, really important, but if you can't support them, you can't use them. Yeah. And also, also you've got to have credibility. And I think we've mentioned this maybe yeah. slightly on one of these other podcasts, Kelly, some time ago, but it's like when you say a turnover, the cost of turnover, that to me is kind of crazy because what these H, what HR people do or have a tendency to do is they go and they read something in a book. Well, uh, for this level of employee, it is 
two times the annual salary or something. Yeah. And if I took that, if I, I never, and I, I would have never gone to a finance person or to the executive team in my company and said that I would have gone, I go with actual turnover amounts. You know, what does it actually cost us? So does that take into account some of the things that maybe, you know, you are, you know, training up to, you know, the, the, the cost that it takes to get somebody up to speed and all that? Maybe not, but I've never had an HR, a, a finance person question me if I give them an actual turnover amount by taking the numbers that I know are real and dividing it by your, your turnover uh, or your hire. And then you, you've got the, an actual number. We're going to have to talk about this one offline, Steve, because I remember you sending me on a wild goose chase to validate a piece of data once upon a time. So another podcast, another episode, but I'm going to. Hey, Kelly, I notice how all these podcasts, you bring up these, these memories that are deep seated in your mind of something I've done along the way to, to, to cause you some sort of mental anguish along the We year. can listen, we can have Leah back on this podcast and Leah, who is a trained psychotherapist, can help us. Hey, I was gonna ask Kim one question though that, that I think would be important to our listeners. And that is if you were still sitting in the CFO chair and an HR person, let's say Would you have, like me, Kim? That's the question. Because Steve said no CFOs like me. So if you were sitting in the CFO chair and I was your head of <laughs> HR, would you like me? I don't think I've ever liked any HR executive. <laughs> <laughs> I rest my case. Thank you. Hey, and, but and, I was, and sometimes I, I struggle with Steve and he and you know that's a problem. <laughs> hey, the, uh, the, uh, the the question I was gonna ask you is if you had some HR, an HR person come to you as a CFO and say, listen, I really want to understand finances better. You know, what these, all these numbers mean. Can you, can you help me or can you help my team or assign somebody to, to give us some, some training in this area? What would you think about that? And would you actually do it? Uh, I probably wouldn't do it from within the organization because most likely that CFO is running with a really lean team and has a lot of work to do. Everybody has, you know, a million different things and a lot of balls in the air and stuff. But I would respect them if they said, we're going to get training. We're going to the local, you know, university and we're going to have them do training for us. Or I'm going to require that my staff be trained in X, Y, and Z, you know, whatever it is. I think that, um, that you'd get a lot of respect for that. I think you'd get some pushback if you ask for training within your organization. Now, some organizations are big enough that they have training groups that might be able to do that for you. So, for example, I worked for an organization called Newell, and um, every year we had Newell University, and there were opportunities there where HR could have been involved and had certain types of finance training and that kind of stuff. So there are some organizations that may have some formal training programs, but just in a, you know, a medium size organization, you know, a billion dollars or something and or down, um, probably not going to have enough time to offer that training. So you'd probably get some pushback, but I think you'd get a lot of respect from your CFO and from, you know, their direct reports. If you say, you know what, we realize that we have a weakness and we're going to go get some training. And I would say not just a lot of general training. You want some specific training. You want training on budget, 
how do we budget? How do we help our departmental managers budget for their employees and their, um, you know, insurance expense and all those different things? How do we do that? How do we create a forecast for the next five years and help our departmental managers? Because that's one of the roles that you guys play. Maybe additional education on, um, you know, finance, the, the financial impacts of uh, insurance decisions. You know, things that, um, that CFOs and their direct reports, like the controller and, and director of finance and stuff, really spend a lot of time kind of hand-holding HR with are things like insurance, um, long-term incentive plans, really understanding the financial ramifications of those types of things. Um, you know, I've spent, I can't tell you how many hours working with HR and lawyers trying to put together long-term incentive plans, um, bonus structures and things like that. If you go and you get specific training on how to deal with those things, I think you'd get a lot of respect from your CFO. I don't know that they're going to say they have a lot of time to just train you because, and especially if you just go in and say, can you just train us on finance? They're going to be like, oi, they, you know, what did you just ask me for? I cannot give you a degree, right? But if you ask to start sitting in on meetings and learning things, you're going to learn just by hearing and you'll be able to ask better questions. That's another really good thing, really good point is you need to ask a lot of questions. Don't be afraid to ask questions because you get a lot of respect for asking questions. Um, somebody says, you know, what's the, what's the return on investment on that? Well, what do you mean by return on investment? And then they're going to tell you. Don't just make up a number because I've had that happen before. That's bad. Don't want that, right? Um, and, and you guys know it happens. People just kind of, you know, bull their way through something. Don't ever do that. If you don't know, you don't know. Just ask. Yeah, that's, that's pretty good advice. I would not, uh, particularly in front of a CFO, ever just make up a number. Do not do that because the CFO probably knows the number. They didn't really need to ask you. They already know the number, but they're going to ask you and see if you know. So don't make it up. I don't, I'm, I, I need, I feel like I need to go read a textbook. So with that, um, Ellie's regretting this afternoon when she had the conversation <laughs> with the CFO, made up the number. <laughs> I did, I, I, I love my CFO. I love my CFO. She's, she's amazing. I would put my CFO up against anybody. So, and she, and I and I actually think she likes me. I'm going to call her after this meeting. I'm going to ask her. I'm going to ask Kim, this is amazing. Amazing. I feel like I learned so much from you. I, I have all these ideas about supporting the human resources function. And I think, I think we could do such great things. Uh, to help support the HR function, to be better partners for business and to be better partners for CFOs. So maybe one day, like you can actually say you like one of us. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> I'm working on it. I keep trying. You know, it's, it's in my heart. I do want to. All right. And I've already got a new idea for a new uh, uh, multi-part uh, program that you can help us with as well. So Okay. Sounds great. HR folks, but yeah. I'd love to do that. So I do. Hey, before we end, I do want to thank uh, not only uh, Dr. Kimberly Whitehead for coming on the show and sharing this insight because, you know, we usually don't have, you know, like the, the enemy come into the show. And, <laughs> that's, that's great. And then, and, and, and also I want to thank our sponsors, which is Hainsworth Sinclair Boyd, who we would not be able to put this show on without Hainsworth Sinclair Boyd. So thank you very much. And thank Absolutely. you, Kelly. 
Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. This was phenomenal. So with that, we're signing off.